Last week, we started a new series called Going Live with God. And we're talking about intimacy with God as family members. This Going Live with God began at the Garden Tomb. We looked last week where Mary goes to the tomb and Jesus reveals himself to her and says something to her that rocks the world, rocks their world in a good way. And he says this to her, go and tell my brothers, my brothers, that I am going to ascend to my father and their father, my God and their God. A greater intimacy has been born because Jesus rose from the dead. Family, a living family. Brothers, sisters, father, son, Father, daughter, go and tell them. This is the new living reality because Jesus has come to life again. Going live with God is not just something that you and I do separately by ourselves. We are called into family with God and with one another. He brought a new family into the world when the word of God birthed us through the resurrection of the word of God. God wanted a family, and he wanted to bring all of us back into his original intention. And he gets all the glory for that. We don't get the glory for that. He does. He brings believers back to glory. And this morning, rather than returning to the tomb outside of Jerusalem, rather than returning back to the Garden of Gethsemane, We're going to go all the way back to the first garden where our family began. So would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I know in my heart that today, this morning, you want a brand new morning to be birthed in the lives of people who have never met Jesus yet, but also for those who know him to come into a brand new place of intimacy And come to realize how close Jesus wants to be. The Heavenly Father wants to be. And the Holy Spirit wants to be. Even with those who have struggled greatly in their journey with God so far. I pray that your Holy Spirit would glorify the character, the heart of Jesus for all of his family. And for those he wants to be in it. Bring more in it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Where did our family get started? Our family began in a paradise. A paradise. In the first book of the Old Testament, Genesis, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. And I stopped there intentionally for impact. It goes on to say rule over the fish. But I just wanted you to see that. Where mankind was, where our first mother and father existed was a place under God, not ruling over God, but ruling the way God intended man and woman to rule in his likeness. And then for Adam, he brought the greatest gift of all. He made someone from Adam's own rib, 
who would become bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. And Adam and Eve, our first parents, were then placed in a garden in paradise to work it and take care of it. And God told them that they were free to eat from any tree in the garden, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when you eat from it, you will certainly die. God put our first family, our father and mother, in a place of indescribable bliss. They had a wondrous level of consciousness that we've never experienced since the fall. You know, one of the cool words today is the word woke. Everybody likes to talk about being woke and asking you if you're woke. And if you're work, that's a, woke, that's a cool thing and you're in, right? Well, that kind of woke that we're talking about in our world, it's not even in the same solar system in comparison to the woke that Adam and Eve had. With God, with themselves, and with the wonderful task that God gave them in the paradise of Eden. It was so awesome that one of the poets in the, in the Psalms said, it's when the stars of God sang. Our family began in a paradise. But our family got lost in paradise. Our family lost paradise. But God didn't lose sight of them. And I want you to know today... And God wants even me to know today. He hasn't lost sight of us. And we really need to know that right now, don't we? We really need to know that. Our family lost paradise, but God didn't lose sight of them or us. In Genesis 3, we know the story. The serpent was way more crafty and subtle than any of the creatures that God had made. And the serpent said to the woman... Now, let me get this right. I'm making, let me get this right. Do I understand this correctly? God told you not to eat of any tree in the garden? And she said, well, we're free to eat from the tree, but from the tree in the center of the garden? He said, don't eat from it or even touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said, you, you, you surely shall not die. See, God knows that when you eat from that tree... You're going to see how it really is. You're going to be like God, knowing good from evil. So the woman looked at the tree, and it was pleasing to the eye, realized what she could get from it. She took from the fruit, ate it. Her husband's standing there. She gave it to him. Adam ate of it, and immediately they did see what was really going on. They saw themselves naked. They saw themselves undone. And they had no idea what they unlocked and unleashed and what you shall surely die would mean. And then they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the evening breezes. And he began to call out Adam's name. And Adam and Eve hid themselves from God. And he said, where are you? And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. How far did we fall when our family fell from paradise? 
See, before the fall in paradise, there was no childhood leukemia. Kids didn't die of brain tumors. Now they do. And it isn't God's fault. Our family made a decision. There wasn't sex trafficking, sexual abuse. Do you know there are millions of kids all across the world? You know there are adults who are sold, bought, and sold more today than any other time in recorded history? Do you know there are little kids who are being sold as sex slaves? Not because of God. Our family made a decision to listen to a serpent. They're honor society students taking their own lives. How far did we fall when we fell from paradise? And what happened when we didn't listen to God's voice? Satan knew the only way to unleash hell in the world, where it would never get out again, was to convince them of a lie about God's goodness and a lie about themselves that through knowledge of good, you could be like God. But that's not what happened. Poverty came into the world, starving people all over the globe. Families breaking down and breaking apart. Social upheaval all over, east, west, north, and south. Hate and racial division. Depression and fear and loneliness. Not because of God. He said, he said, you are free to live in the dominion of sonship and the glory of being my daughters. Name stuff. Anything you wish to name it, that's what it'll be called. For you glorify me by living in that kind of liberty. Rule. That's where God was. God was saying, cultivate the future in this creative power. I've given it to you. But don't eat from that tree or you'll die. You will unleash hell and it will never leave. God didn't cause the coronavirus. A family decision was made that opened a door. How far lost from paradise are we? Need I go on? We who think it's everyone else, all of us have been tattooed with this poison. And it's in the core of all of us. Me, you. Although we all have a residue of the origin of being God's creation, made in God's image, knowing good and evil somewhat. Problem is, though we want to do good, and we can string out a few wins, the crust comes along, doesn't it? And even self-interest is behind lots of our so-called sacrificial giving. But God didn't lose sight of them, and God didn't lose sight of us. He came calling on that day. Where are you? And when they answered straight up, he covered them and he made a promise to break them out with a divine reversal through a powerful freeing act 
through the pure sacrifice of himself. As I've said before, this isn't because of us. It's because of who he is to the praise of his glorious grace. You know why he did it? As Michael Card wrote, for the mighty one provided for the fallen ones instead, and his quest began to slay the beast to finally crush his head. We live in the crust and the groaning of creation, but not alone, because God comes walking. He brings sun and crops. Newborn babies bring new hope. Life has joy in it, even in the midst of crust. Even in the groaning and the sorrow and the suffering, there is beauty, there's community. Isn't it interesting? In the midst of the corona pandemic, there are people who want to get together. I actually saw a post. One of my friends said, I miss people. That is God creating a desire for us to help each other through this pandemic. I went for a run yesterday afternoon, and I was running up the sidewalk, and here uh, came some people my way, and you know what? I didn't know them, and they, they moved over to give me space, and I moved over to give them space, and you know what? We wanted, I could tell we wanted to hug each other. We just miss people. You know what? That hunger to connect, that missing of each other, that echoes from Eden's paradise. He calls us even now in creation's skies, ocean sunsets, baby's giggles. He hasn't lost sight of any of us. We lost sight of him. My family, my last name is McGregor. I, my family origin, not my like most recent family of the last hundred years or so or whatever, but my family origin is from Scotland in the southwest portion, a place that's, that's called Erzure. I've never been there. Now, my cousin's daughter, her name is Hope McGregor. The other night she posted uh, on Facebook that she had a picture of a, of a frosty, a chocolate frosty, and, and she's dipping french fries in it. And, she, and, and as she has this picture, my first cousin, Melinda, chimes in on Facebook and says, I do that too. And I'm reading that post and I go, I've been doing that since the 80s, man. And I wonder if it's a McGregor thing. You know what I'd love to do? I'd love to go to Azure, And I'd love to go to Wendy's. And I want to walk in there and look around and look for anybody who's dipping French fries in their Frosty and say, are you a McGregor? I don't know. Maybe it's not just a McGregor. You know what else? I, my daughter texts me, uh, I don't know, eight months ago during the day. And she said, Dad, I want to ask you a question. I said, okay. Type me back to Pasadena. She said, are you crossing, by chance, crossing your big toe over your second toe uh, right now? And I was like, wow, I am. She goes, so am I. Well, my son Devin, ha of course, have you noticed I'm a grandfather? Have you heard that? My, my first grandson, Graham Slam, there's a picture of him crossing his toes, man. It's a Mc I think it's a McGee thing. We've passed some cool, cute weirdness has been passed down through our blood. And I'm sure there's some cute weirdness passed down through your family too.
I wish I could say that's all that's been passed down. But my family and your family come from the first family in the garden of paradise. And, we've, and they passed on to us and we've passed on other things like arrogance, anger, and addiction to stuff that you hate and I hate. And sometimes you do better at overcoming it and sometimes you don't do better. Sometimes, maybe like me, you want to be more important than others. Maybe we're all related. Maybe sometimes you judge other people harsher than you want anyone to ever judge you. I like the French fries in the chocolate. Sometimes you, I look over and I'm in the pit of conceit and I go, hey, I know you. Many times when we read the scriptures, we see ourselves in the stories of the faithful. We want to be them. But you know what? I also find, and I know you do too, and it's hard, to, it's hard to face it, that there are a lot of times we find ourselves in the fallen in the scriptures. Uh, not just the crown passages, but the crusty ones. The redemptive work and the ridiculous. It's all because of a family decision in paradise, and we fell from it. But God didn't lose sight of us. He came walking in. He made a covering. I want to tie last week into this week about going live. Because into the fallen world of the crust and the groaning, enter our family redeemer. The book of Hebrews uses a passage from David's psalm where David says, what is man that you notice him? And the son of man that you visit him. You made us a little lower than the angels, but you crowned them with glory and honor. You put them in charge over the work of your hands. And then the Hebrew writer though says, when God put them in charge of everything, nothing was excluded, but we don't see it yet don't see everything under man. No, we see a lot of things over us. And we see a lot of things in us that we should be over, but are actually overpowering us. And that is that, is that bloodline. That is that connection we have with our family from paradise fallen. But I love what the Hebrew writer says. But what we do see is Jesus. And man, do I want you, especially, especially if you, you're a believer and you would say to me, Tim, I'm telling you, man, I can take you to the spot in the church or listening to a preacher on the telly or driving in my car and listening to a, back in the day, CD or a podcast. And I gave my heart to Jesus all in and he touched me and he washed me and I, I felt cleansed. But my walk with God, he's been faithful, and I've, try, I've not been. Man, I, I'm hiding, and I don't know what he really thinks. I know I, I don't feel connected. I, listen, this message is for you. Because that's the person. Whether we know it or not, we're all that person. We've all been that person. 
You know, you may, do a, you may be struggling in an area of your life, a crusty area that, that you've not overcome, and in the culture of church, in the evangelical church, the Protestant and Catholic, the sin or sins that you present, that, you, that have more power over you than you ever read, they're the culturally unacceptable ones that if you got real about it, you're only going to get real about it with somebody in secret that you can trust your soul to and your, your kids and your grandkids to that wouldn't give you over or give you up. And you know what? That's the culture we live in. And let me tell you, I bet you it's not one of the seven deadly sins that God says are abominable. I know what the church says is abominable and what culture says, but let me tell you what God says are the seven deadly sins from Proverbs. It says, that, here's the first one, haughty eyes. You know what that means? That means a look that says to another person, I'm better than you, I'm superior over you. Is that the one you're struggling with? Now, that one's acceptable even in evangelists. But it's crusty, man. Here's one, spreading lies and rumors. That's the second. Traveling Wilburys, listen, go get their song, The Seven Deadly Sins. Here's another one, spilling the blood of the innocent. Wait, that's a human, that's a, that's a, well. Here's one, is this, maybe this one's it. Plotting evil in your heart towards somebody else. Is that it? Have I hit yours on the list yet? I know what yours is. Or probably a good guess. Gloating over doing what's plainly wrong. I'll just fast, I don't have time. Spouting lies and false testimony. Yeah, this is Proverbs. Here's how it starts. There are six evils God truly hates and the seventh is an abomination to him. Stirring up strife between friends. Nothing in there about sexual immorality. Nothing. Now, that's a sin. And those who live in sexual immorality will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's Galatians 5 in the scriptures. But it's not there. I've not had to counsel anybody that said, you know what, man? I need set free from having a haughty look. It's an abomination. I'm an expert at getting snarky with people and rolling my eyes at him. It's troubling to me. See, when you all he did was took a piece of fruit. See, God looks at things differently. He looks at the heart. And look what hell came into the world. So that I set all that up to say this, with all that, our God didn't lose sight of us. And if you're on that list that I read, he loves you too. And he hasn't lost sight of you. He walks into our crusty stuff. Here's what I want us to get today. Jesus is not ashamed of us. He enters into the crust, no matter how crusty, with a passion to crown and cover us in his grace. His offer to anyone who could be completely his with crust all over, 
is a crown of grace to cover us. It's in that context. Because listen, out of the 12, one took his life, the other caved and wouldn't stand up for him, the rest went and hid, and only one of the 12 stood at the bottom of the cross. And you talk about being deserted, being left alone, and when he comes out of the tomb, here's how unlike we are to Jesus. Jesus comes out of the tomb with those kind of people, and he says, go tell my brothers that I'm going to my Father and their Father, my God. You know why? Because he is fulfilling in that statement a word from Isaiah prophetically about the Messiah that says, here I am. I stand in the midst of my brothers, and I am not ashamed to call them my brothers as I worship you, God. That's who Jesus is, man. Since the one who saves and those who are saved have a common origin, he doesn't hesitate to treat us as family. Stay with me. Behind the shield of every warrior, every Christian warrior, everybody that you think is a powerful, powerful person, they are. Maybe they are. A powerfully anointed man or woman of God. Behind the shield of every warrior is a residue of the fall and a reminder of the crust. Behind Peter the rock, who walked on water and was the first one to realize that Jesus was the anointed Messiah, was a Simon who argued with others over who was the greatest and denied three times that he even knew Jesus. Me? If you th Behind every victory in my life is a fragile person. Behind the shield of what might look like a powerful man of God, behind is a fragile person. How about you? Is what, behind, is, is what it, that is behind your shield as powerful as the shield of God's anointing on you? you? Behind the shield of every warrior is a residue of the fall and a reminder of the crust. But here's the good news. In front of every one of us stands the true warrior, shielding our lives with his compassion and strength. Man. You know what that means? That means that I can be real. That means that you can be real. That means the church can be real. And what does it mean to be real? To realize that we're weak in ourselves, but he is our strength. To realize that we do have fears, but he is our protector. To realize real is realityizing ourselves. In reality, in our crust, he is our covering. Jesus is not ashamed to call crusty Christians his brothers and sisters. Wouldn't it be great if we were really as powerfully victorious as we claim to be? Our victory is in him. And the great news is he wants to share it with us. And we can be real. We are not Jesus. Every man of God, every woman of God, apart from Jesus, is weak in their nature. Here, let me tell you about me behind my shield. 
I'm scared. This past week was probably the scariest week I've had in my life in, wow, eight years. Not because of the numbers on TV, but because my mom is a potential number of someone that could be infected being in a nursing home in our town, which is having a, a, a rapid increase of infections. And I'm scared, frustrated, just like you. You know what? Throughout all of my life with the great shield, behind the shield, listen, people have encouraged me through my ministry years, and there have been many of them, in saying, God's rewarding my faithfulness. And I appreciate those kind words. And, and, and I'll never say, nor would you probably to anybody, hey, 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 stop. Just stop. You've been encouraging me way too much lately. Please. Right? Right? The truth is, he's the faithful one. He's been the faithful one. Not that I've been unfaithful in the big way, but behind the shield is a fragile soul. Behind my faith shield, I've had many scary moments. I've had temptations. Some I've won. Some I've needed way more than a mulligan. You? You dip your fries in the chocolate? You like chocolate? Jesus has always picked me up. Jesus has always, listen, hey, for the one person I'm talking to that's relating with this. Jesus has always picked me up and stood me back up and held me up, but I didn't always feel like it at the time. Actually, I felt just the opposite. Sometimes you don't see Jesus in your present. You have to wait a while and look back and find he was there in your ever-present past. There were late nights in my journey here where I would worry that I was the pastor that led our church to a point of no return and we would be going over the falls because we just signed on the line and started to build a three-quarter million dollar building and took the church into a program. And I can remember behind the shield at times thinking, I don't know what I'm doing. Having fearful moments at different times in certain years that we would crash. I didn't march victoriously all the way from there to here on the, out, on the outside. I wasn't faking it. I was hoping to make it. But Jesus shielded me and shielded you and provided all the way. This morning, LOH, do you know where, where God has brought LOH Church to? God, through people giving to him faithfully. Not equal giving, but equal sacrifice by some of you brought us all the way. And we have, right now, the ability to pay off our mortgage completely. Today, if we wanted to. To God be the glory. Man. Me, behind the anointing and the shield, sometimes I've been afraid to trust people, sometimes. Sometimes I've felt like a coward when people thought I was courageous. Sometimes I wanted to run. I don't mean like I did yesterday. 
on the highway. I mean, run. When people thought I was willing to be the last man standing. Are, are you still with me? The one person? But Jesus used people to get me back on course. And sometimes he'd even whisper. He'd always whisper, but sometimes my heart couldn't hear him because I felt so bad. It's because of him that I have any kind of victory. And if you look at any victorious warrior, man or woman of God, of past or present or future, when you read about their prayer life and you compare theirs to yours and the devil goes, eh, knowledge of good and evil, you're a dead man. You can't come. Look, listen, behind that big shield is a fragile stone. Not being disrespectful, but listen, to God be all the glory. My strength, if I have any, comes from Jesus. I still go through lows and rough places and down times. How about you? This going live with God is not some kind of uh, uh, out of reach, unrealistic view that we just march over everything and, and just victory, 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 because that's a good hope. But the reality is in front of every one of us stands our true warrior. Shielding our lives with his compassion and strength. Why? So we can be real, which means in our weakness, he is our strength. In our fear, he is our protector. In our crust, he is our covering. We don't have somebody who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness. He's been through testing. He's experienced it all and did not sin. So he calls you and I to come into a brotherhood with him. I don't understand that. I don't even know how to theologically explain that. I look at that step going upward to a high place with him, and there's something in the religious realm culture that I've grown up in. Nobody's fault. It's just there. When you look at that step of saying that you're a brother with the Lord Jesus Christ, I feel like I should take a step back. But what is pride? Is pride taking a step up or back? Pride is not believing and agreeing with what God says he graces us to be. Going live in family means go tell them the good news. I know they're hiding just like Adam was. They're afraid of Rome. They're afraid they can't make it. They caved on me. But listen, I've come out of the tomb. Go tell my brothers. It's all changed. I walked into that unleashed hell and I took it and I took it down. And now you have a relationship with me and I'll be your shield. I will be your shield. Jesus is not ashamed to walk into your crust or my crust. He is passionate about covering our crust with a crown of grace. And what that does is it unleashes a liberty amongst us to come close to one another and accept one another, crust and all in Christ. I love what Ann Voskamp says. You can trust everything with Jesus is going to be okay. Because the word himself walks into our story and walks with us until the story ends in his time, in his ways, 
for our ultimate good and his ultimate glory. And that is why everything's going to be okay. And if everything's not okay yet, everything's not over yet. So what, do we, what does he give us? He gives us refreshing water. He gives us, he gives us the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what I said when I came up to pray over the offering. And that's what I want to end with, is, is to take you to a place that, the, that our brother, Lord, covenant priest, God in the flesh, Savior, Jesus, wants to bring us into a place where a river flows from his throne. And he wants to release streams of refreshing for our souls because that's where you find the strength you need and that's where we get reminded of what is to come. He is going to take us all back into that realm of paradise. I'm just going to read these verses and then we're going to pray. The first picture of it is in the first book of the Bible. Another picture is in the last book. In the first book, God planted a garden in Eden and he put man there and, and, and beautiful trees grew there and a river fl flows into the garden to water the ground there. The paradise of Eden flourished because of the river that flowed into it. In the last book of the Bible, John said, then the angel showed me the water of the river of life, clear as crystal. And it flowed from the throne of God and the Lamb right down the middle of the street. And the tree of life was planted on each side. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. And I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify the truth about these things. So the Spirit and the bride are to say, this is Jesus talking, so the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, and the bride, the church, are to say, come. Whoever hears, say, come. Anyone thirsty? He didn't say, is anyone righteous? He didn't say, has anyone got it together? He's coming in the cool of the day into our hiding place. He says, anybody thirsty, come. All who will, come and drink. Drink freely of the water of life. This Jesus in the Bible. Oh, Holy Spirit, reveal the character of this Jesus. Because this Jesus will walk into the crust of our lives and give us a drink of water that will change the inner part of us. David saw this. Who was David? Oh, he's a man after God's own heart. Who is David? Yeah, he, he slew the giant. You know, is the same David committed adultery and conspiracy of murder. And that David that Jesus would come from the line of saw in the spirit this river and in the Psalms said this, there is a river. Friend, listen, you're struggling that you're so ashamed of your struggle, you, you can't even tell me. You, can't, you, you can hardly tell God. I want to tell you, there is a river whose streams will make glad the city of God. That's where your heart, the holy place 
where he dwells, the Most High. God is within her, and she will not fall. God will help her at the break of day, and God wants to help you. Would you pray with me? Going live is about coming alive. It's about coming into life. He's the life. We're, we need the life, and he's so willing. He's so willing. There isn't any sin. There isn't any kind of crust within. Anything that's overcome you or is overcoming you, regardless of what anyone else says, that can stop the passion of Jesus to send the river from his throne into your soul for free. He paid it all. He paid it all. He's not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed of me. He came into our mess to crown us with grace. Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you have done. When we, our family, opened the door to hell to unleash into this world death and darkness, you didn't fly off. You didn't leave us alone. You came walking in to cover their nakedness and made a promise in that first garden that through a baby born in a descendant of those two human beings would come the one who would be our redeemer, who would take shame and hardship and hell and separation and sin in all its toxicity upon himself, on his own shoulders, and carry it to his heart and put it to death in his death and bury it forevermore. And when he came out on that new morning, for the least in the kingdom right now, he says, here I am. In your midst, I'm not ashamed to call you my brother and my sister. Send a fresh flow of a clear, crystal, God-creating, healing water of your presence into every person that's thirsty today and stand them up as sons and daughters and crown them in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.